Welcome back listeners. Really excited for this episode and everything we're going to bring to you with it. We have Jennifer Tetrick on air sharing her testimony. She's on our care team and our Bowling Green team and we're so excited to give her an opportunity to share her story. In our trauma-informed segment, we're going to be talking about locus of control. And lastly, Abby Bailey is going to be continuing the story of Joseph and what that means to us here today. So let's get right into it. On this trauma-informed segment, we are going to be talking about locus of control. First of all, let's identify what that even means. So locus of control is the degree of which people believe that they, as opposed to external forces, that they have the control over the outcome of events in their life. Essentially, how much they have control over their own actions in regards to what's happening in their life. So someone with an internal locus of control believes that they um, they have the power to, to make a difference as far as that's concerned. If you have a strong internal locus of control, you believe, I make things happen. Look what I can do. I can determine my future. I make things happen for myself. If you have an external locus of control, you may think or feel things like, why bother? Why does everything happen to me? There's nothing that I can do about my future. I'm just having to wait for the other shoe to drop and I have no say so in what happens in my life. That would be an example of an external locus of control. You blame the outcome on fate, luck, happenstance, other people. Um, So... That can be how you identify which direction you tend to fall. It's rather common for those that have had somewhat traumatizing lives or um, just a lot of trauma in general. You tend to learn through life and what's happened to you to have an external locus of control. So let's talk about what causes an external locus of control. It can be rejection. It can be someone in your life that's hostile and is very controlling of you. It can even be a lack of warmth or an unpredictable parent style as a child that you were around. It can just make you feel like you you have no control over that situation whatsoever. And I mean, in some cases, you maybe not have any legitimate control over the situation, but so it teaches you how to look at things for your future. And it it determines what your outlook on life is going to be, so to speak. So one of the best ways that you can start to try to overcome that. If you notice that, hey, I, I, I've i seen this in myself, 
And I don't want to be this way anymore. Is it hopeless? Or once you've developed this frame of thinking, is there just, there's this point of no return? Absolutely not. As long as we have breath in our lungs, God is good and there's hope to change and there's hope to grow and to heal. And so part of that healing, um, there's three techniques that are pretty common and popular in methodology for applying this to change your locus of control. The first thing would be um, to change the blame game. You're going to look back and reflect on the moment that caused the distress in the first place. And you're going to think about who did you feel like was at, at fault? And, you know, we all have these moments of distress in our lives and we can justify fault Um pretty easily and find ways to, to blame shift perhaps and to find ways that that something may or may not be our fault but once you start to reflect back on the situations like that instead of looking at it to try to uncover the truth or to establish who's guilty in these situations Resort to when the moment of the distress occurred, and you can look at it objectively, learning to take responsibility of the outcome of the situation, rather than focusing on the fact of what's happened. So, for example, um, you know, you back into someone's car. That stinks, really. Um, Maybe they were backing up at the same time. Maybe they zipped in out of nowhere. There could be a lot of reasons why it absolutely isn't your fault. But instead of focusing on that, focusing your attention on how you react to what happens after the distress has occurred, that can really begin to shape and shift how you react in those situations and um, how your brain, what its go-to thought pattern is the next thing would be taking charge so for this exercise you would just you would essentially imagine your future goals and the path that you would like to take to get there and does that path consist of thoughts like if this happens or I hope that they see my effort or it'll it'll take luck if if that's the case then you have an external locus of control. You see any future success in what you're trying to accomplish as being dependent on someone else or an event to happen. So to increase your internal locus of control, change your thoughts to when I make this happen, when they see my effort, determination, not luck, will take me to my future goals. And... Um, I mean, it's, it's popular belief that so a man thinks he is. And battlefield of the mind is very real. And once you begin to kind of start taking those thoughts captive and shifting the direction of them, you're going to notice a big change within yourself. And the last one would be to embrace failure. Seeing failure as an opportunity to learn, even though it's never welcomed, um, it's going to happen sooner or later. And especially whenever we're trying to accomplish something that may be challenging. But for people with an external locus of control, they will examine the probability of failure 
And if they think that there's a slight chance of failure, they'll avoid the entire situation completely. But whenever we do that, we stifle our potential for growth and development. So if you want to increase your internal locus of control, go out and do something that you know will result result in failure. It may be um, you haven't prepared to run a race at all and I'm not saying get yourself in in a bad physical situation but like let's say it's a it's a 5k and you know you're not that strong of a runner um but you're just going to go ahead and sign up anyway and see what happens and you know like you're definitely not going to win the 5k but the goal is to survive right but um you know it's not a high probability of of winning per se or asking a server at the restaurant to have your meal prepared differently just testing yourself in little situations that you normally wouldn't say or do anything like that over time you'll learn that even in failing or something not going the way that you think it's going to you're going to learn that you get stronger with each encounter and you are capable of doing hard things and even though there's this huge fear of it that you have an excellent survival rate against your bad days bad times failed attempts you know so the stronger you grow your internal locus of control the more rewarding you'll find life you'll no longer feel like you have to blame others or fear or fear doing new things or interesting things and you'll find that those around you admire your sense of self and how you're able to somewhat master your destiny and so I just encourage you to to give that a try this week to try to take notice of which direction your locus of control is falling and if you find yourself in the camp of having an external locus of control try to embrace change this week and see what happens Jennifer, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Wonderful. Yeah. It is an honor to have you on air with us. Listeners, Jennifer is who helps us co-lead our care team, which is our support group that meets on Thursdays in Nashville. And she's also on our Bowling Green Outreach team. Jennifer, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, my name is Jennifer. Uh, I am a recovering sexual entertainment lady. I uh, am a daughter in Christ. I am just um, overjoyed to be able to be here today. Yeah. So as I was thinking about and praying about your story and just the questions that the Lord would want me to ask for your interview, I felt led to a couple of areas of your story. First of all, how you got saved is a bit of an unusual story. Would you like to share that piece of your story with us today? Sure. Yes, it is a little unusual. Um, uh, About, I don't know, 20... 23 years ago I was um, 
dancing in the club. I was uh, I worked for a very well known establishment, and um, it was very busy. I was um, at the top of my game, so to speak. And a gentleman I was uh, performing the dance for afterwards asked me if I knew where I was going when I died. And I looked at him and I laughed and just kind of blew it off and said, oh, I'm going to hell and I'm okay with that. I know what I'm doing is not the best thing in life. Which is real interesting because I didn't know Christ at that time. So to not understand the depths of what I said for me today, looking at that was incredible that Christ would come to me where I was at in the dirtiest, dingiest of places, in the thick of being sinful, sitting there naked, saying, come to me you know mm-hmm. and um and i i had no clue when i made that statement how um lost i was and um, so the gentleman asked if he could pray with me and i said oh, okay so he mm-hmm. prayed that um i would come to know the lord and um, yeah i was invited to go to church and it sparked an interest in me so of course I kind of went on with my life and didn't really click or anything but somebody gave me a bible a few months later and so I started reading it and then I would go to church and I just started hearing the gospel and um, you know it started to change my life I became hungry to hear the word and um and to be in the word but i hadn't yet accepted christ as my savior and so Mm -hmm. it's um you know it was quite an interesting journey yeah and i know that you and i had talked a little bit about how after you accepted christ there was a little period of time where you were still having to work in the clubs will you share what that was like yes I did finally accept Lord Jesus Christ into my heart and asked Him to absolve me of all of my sinful ways in nature. But um, being a single mom at the time, um, I didn't, and I wasn't very educated at the time. Um, I opted to go to a technical school because I wanted to change my life, but I couldn't. I didn't see an opportunity at the time to leave the club um, and to be able to continue to support my family. So even mm-hmm. though I had accepted Christ into my heart, I stayed um, in the environment about a year, which over that time though, as God was changing me from my inside, it was starting to show on the outside and I wasn't being as attractive to the people. I wasn't um, having that joyful experience there anymore. And so my um, financial status started to go down and so I wasn't finally towards um, 
when I graduated from the technical school, I um, decided to leave from there finally. And when I did, there was a seven month period that was just, I had no job, I was struggling. I started having um, emotional um, outbursts because um, I was fighting with the temptation of going back and, mm-hmm. um, and, and staying true to how my heart felt to honor my body as a temple of God's and not misuse it anymore because I myself um, I wasn't being trafficked by anybody else I placed myself in that situation um, and I was the one who um, what I for lack of better words pimping myself out and mm-hmm. I had to struggle with that uh, inner portion of um, feeling the difference of self-worth between how I felt being um, a child of God and His love for me and the not being enough to be able to support my family. But yeah. I was fortunate enough to have gotten, um, when I, the church I was going to and then I got saved again, they did not know my background because I was ashamed to share a truth but they loved me as this single mom struggling trying to better herself and so I had some assistance from the church community I was involved in that helped me get through um, financially but also emotionally because I was connected up to like women's Bible studies and stuff like that. And so I could share little bits of struggle um, and find hope in hearing the word, even though I may not have been sharing my story with them, submersing myself in his word, being a part of the church, being in the gospel is what helped get me through that. But it it was a struggle. It was a struggle that I, I couldn't leave at the beginning, and then um, when I did, you know, the devil, he, he, will, he will strike at you every which mm-hmm. way that you can. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my children hated me. I, you know, had one of my children stand in my face and say, you are not my mother, because I had stinking so much um, that it was, it was a complete... Um, it was a whole environment change, and so it's just like I, I was not the same person that I had been before, and it, it life was a struggle. Yeah, and I know you had mentioned a little bit in the last little tidbit that you shared, but so after you left dancing, was it a pretty pretty regular thing for you to have thoughts about wanting to go back? Oh yeah, I mean I I. Honestly, I wanted to say that it was the financial hardships that was, you know, what it was. But most of, um, I have to be honest and say that the, it was the loss of the bonds that I created with the other women that I worked with because we had um, a bond of common traumas. You know, we mm-hmm. kind of clung to each other in that environment. And so learning how 
not to learning how to come out and quote unquote live in the real world was very difficult when because you don't I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere and so it's like when I was emotionally bankrupt and financially bankrupt I would I would want to go back and I honestly went back once mm -hmm. the final time I did do a couple bounces back and forth but the final time I when before I left I went to the district manager of the club I was working for and I made him promise me to never give me my job back I said I don't care if I come in here kicking screaming whining crying desperate please whatever you do do not hire me back and you know what he never did it didn't matter yeah. I would come in there and say I just need to work for a day I need to work for a weekend he's like no he says I'm honoring you in what you made a promise to yourself that you didn't want to be here so no you can't and I that was amazing that this mm -hmm. this person who was in this that used to only see dollar bills when I would walk through that door was able to help me honor myself yeah not coming back so yeah it is a struggle and, and yeah you you will and um <laughs> the last night I worked was um in the fall uh, of the, the, that last year I had gone I had and um, during that period of seven months that I was struggling I decided oh well I can just go and so I went but then there was a shooting at the club oh my like, yeah okay god I get it I'm not supposed to be here <laughs> gotcha. yeah <laughs> so, wow that was yeah it was it was pretty yeah devastating experience but um you know it's it's it is very difficult um to leave that environment and walk away from everything um because they just the people don't look at you the same they 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 look at you differently you really look like you're the enemy at that point and it's and it's heartbreaking and yeah. it's very it's very very lonely feeling very lonely so you've been out 20 years now and i know you mentioned even your children when you were going through it the changes but so the change is pretty drastic at this point. Um, each woman's struggles are different and every woman's story is different. But for you, what has been the hardest part about life after the club? Working on myself, having to be my real self, I didn't realize um, that in my younger years that I had had so much um, traumatic experiences that had um, led me up to the point to getting to the point of being in the club and exposing myself you know like that um, yeah. that um, persona had been created um, because of uh, the protection of what your your mind and your emotions do for you to protect you from trauma since you've grown for me, growing mm -hmm. through life, it, I created a persona that was a strong woman who couldn't be beat up by a husband, that um, couldn't be, uh, I, I just created a strong persona that uh, 
made me feel in, invincible, like I was powerful and that nothing could um, damage me anymore, um, whether it was you know, sexual abuse, um, being raped, or being beaten, or being degraded um, psychologically uh, from verbal abuse. And mm -hmm. um, I had to learn how to integrate that powerfulness that uh, that persona I had created into being the positive, empowered woman that I am today. But it takes working through all those emotions and those traumas and those trials. But I was able to do that with Christ and being comforted by Him through that. It has healed me as a person, healed that inner child. Um, it's allowed me to have better relationships in life. I have a, a good husband now. I have good relationships with a couple of my children and kind of rough relationships with other children still. But there, that's just proof that you have, it's life is not perfect and there are right. going to be struggles, but I've got the savior to hold on to and he mm -hmm. comforts me and I can go to him and he can guide me and I trust him that yeah. he will do that for me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being so brave and vulnerable and sharing your story with us today. It takes great courage to be able to do that. And I just want to honor you for that. Would you like to share with us any dreams or visions that you have now or for the future that you're working towards? Yes. Um, <laughs> I've always been a very quiet kind of, quiet, kind of unique person and personality that I have grown into quite a boisterous personality and it has allowed me to um, when I came out of the industry and I felt so alone but I was so overjoyed by what Christ was doing for me I had dreams and visions of being able to share these these the, this hope strength and love and experiences with other women so that they didn't have to feel as lonely and broken as I did, but I think that that's going to happen anyways. But it, the dreams I had was I wrote out a complete program to be able to open up a home to women who are coming out of the industry. And then I wandered around for 20 years in the wilderness, not knowing anything or anybody. And then whispers of hope came to me I, I got to meet you Sally mm -hmm. and um, it's given me an opportunity to do um, like Isaiah 61 1 says and um, it's the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and that to me is what my dream is, is I want to come to these women and share with them that even people like David, you know, was fallible. I mean, even he was a good Christian man and he kept falling. I mean, he, he had, you know, an affair with, you know, Bathsheba and mm -hmm. yet he still was able to fall down and say I in you know in Psalm 32 5 I acknowledge my sin to you and, yeah. God, and, and he didn't hide that he opened himself and he says I know I did this and God forgave him 
you know yeah. and yeah. that is the experiences of the visions that I have is that I want through being able to be a representative with whispers of hope to let other women know that it's just love He has yeah that's right much from you other than just come to him just come yeah. to him and yeah. he he will comfort you and that that is that is my dream is for for any woman who has um been in prostitution or has been um in 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 the sexual entertainment industry in any form being a stripper um you know if if they're addicts or alcoholics or they've got traumas you know of experiencing relationships that are abusive yeah i am just glad that god has given me an opportunity to be able to share my witness and my experience so that they can hopefully see the hope that there is in the world yes and i mean i already know how anointed even for just the season of helping us get our care team up and running and participating in all that i can see god's anointing all over you for that and just how ordained that role was for you that there was nobody else god wanted to do that but you and um it's just such a treasure to get to have you on the team doing that with the ladies but I'm excited to see how the Lord works everything together for you because I know that he's always working even when we can't see it um and I just know that even though you wandered for 20 years you know in the wilderness that he's not going to waste a single moment of that and he's going to bring beauty for ashes from all of that time and in the scripture in Joel it says he will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten and I'm already seeing him do that for you and so I just can't wait to see you know as the years progress what all he does with you and through you was there anything that either while we were interviewing or that you thought of whenever we were preparing for this that you wanted to share with the listeners with for encouragement or just anything that you wanted to say that you didn't get the opportunity to do through the questions on the interview. Yeah, I just anyone that's listening, I just want them to know that you do not have to decide to give your life over to Christ in this moment. I didn't, you know, immediately accept Christ as my savior, but what I did do was I became curious. I started reading the Bible. I um asked questions of things that I didn't understand or I wanted to know more about. Um I went to church and I was hearing the word of the gospel and his great love and it it that for me was the ultimate thing that brought me was that I came to understand that it didn't matter how broken I was I didn't have to shower and get clean before I came to Christ. Right. I came and I started learning and he was there for me and he loved me until I could love myself and accept him into my life and um you know and 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 I'm glad that I did that and I think that anybody um, if you're listening to this reach out to us we'll send you a care package and um you there's 
some wonderful items in there for you to be able to start exploring um, the opportunity to be able to, to find salvation in Christ. And we love you regardless. And, um, you know, please feel welcome. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And, uh, Thank you for doing it. It means a lot. Um, you know, I can tell ladies all day, every day that Jesus loves them. But I don't have that part of my testimony that you guys do. And so I feel like it just makes a totally different impact. And um, it hits completely different to know that somebody's been through what they've been through. And so I just thank you for your courage of sharing and, and for being on today. It's been wonderful having you. So thank you. Okay, so we have Abby here, and we are continuing in Joseph's story. If you remember last episode, we were talking about the life of Joseph, and we're going to continue to do so. Hope that you caught our special episode with Dave and Meg. And Abby and I were just kind of talking about before we started recording how Dave's life reminds us of Joseph and his integrity in that situation, but I don't want to cut Abby short and steal the light of what she's going to try to share. But I just, I hope that you caught that and that you make the connection between that. And let's hop right into what Miss Abby has for us this week. Well, thank you for having me back. Um, I just want to, I want to say, um, I think it's hilarious if, if the listeners could see the behind the scenes kind of of us. Sometimes we, we coordinate this and we sit down and we kind of do like a brief, this is what, and we, then we have this like little hilarious celebration type moments Mm -hmm. where it's like the Holy Spirit just kind of synced us up and it always blesses me and encourages me to know the Lord is, we're all on his heart. Mm -hmm. The Bible says we're on his mind, that his thoughts are toward us. And so I just hope that anyone hearing the message will look past the you know, any background noise you might hear, any faux pas, any, you know, I have a little bit of a congestion from a cold I caught this week, but look past all of the surface level and really reflect and listen to the message of what the Father is trying to speak to us in this moment, because it blesses me when I do the study and I go through the Bible and I get that fresh dose of revelation. Mm -hmm. And then it really blesses me when I sync up with you, Sally, and the Holy Spirit has been ministering to you the same words and the same things. It might even look and sound just a little bit different, but the message, the core of it is the same. And so I just want all of you to just, you know, listen with your heart and let your spirit um, receive what the Lord is speaking to us right now. But this is all, if anyone wants to go back and read the story, which I highly recommend, it's in Genesis uh, 36 on... And we're picking up with Joseph, who in Genesis 37 is a 17-year-old boy. He is Jacob's son of his favorite wife, born to him at an older age. Um, he, Jacob made no qualms about Joseph being his favorite child. He was very flagrant with his uh, adoration. He even brought got him a uh brought and put on him in front of all of his brothers a very ornate robe which created a lot of uh i believe there's probably already jealousy but it 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 turned the corner over into hate Mm -hmm. um where his brothers just really loathed him um then in joseph of all his 17 year old angst and enthusiasm has some dreams 
And in the dreams, he um, sees these sheaves of grain come out of a field and they rise up and they um, gather around him and they bow down to him. And so he has the audacity to share this with his brothers. And then he has another dream about the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to him. And even his father at that point says, are, are your mother and I and your brother, are we supposed to worship you? Like, what are you talking about? Um, <clears throat> but it says that his brothers who became even more jealous of him, but his father kind of kept this in the back of his mind. Um, as the story progresses, his father sent him out to check on his brothers who were tending his flocks and they see him coming and they kind of plot against him. Um, one of them is to the point where they want to kill him. I mean, they've already called him. They're already calling him the dreamer. They are jealous. They have no use for him. So Reuben hears this and says, Hey, no, we're not going to take his life. You know, don't, don't cause bloodshed over this. Um, there's a cistern here. We'll, we'll throw him, which is essentially like a well, we'll throw him in it. Um, and the Bible says that his intention was to come back and take him to his father. But meanwhile, through the course of the day in the work, they, um, see a group of a caravan with camels, um, Ishmaelites coming down. They're going to be trading, uh, down in Egypt and Judah gets the idea, you know what? We're okay. Let's not cover him or murder him and cover our hands with blood, but let's trade him. Let's sell him into slavery. And so they do. And then when Reuben comes back and realizes that his brother is gone, they tell him what they've done. And so they kind of, they take his robe and they, they dunk it in blood and they go back home and they tell his brother, Jake, his father, Jacob, and his younger brother, Benjamin, um, that he's been killed by a wild animal. So to his family the, that weren't a part of this <laughs> traitor um, situation, he is dead. Mm-hmm. And so um, Jacob is, is kind of flung into a huge... Um, grief. He's pretty much from that day on marked. He becomes very protective of Benjamin, his last living son from his favorite wife. It creates even more of a split in the family. Judah, the older brother, ends up leaving the area and going to a strange land to kind of escape that whole, uh, you know, talk about a Debbie Downer. Nothing like your favorite son died to really bring the <laughs> the temperature of the family down. <laughs> you know, I don't know what their hopes or dreams were, but it certainly wasn't a bonding moment for any of them with their dad. They pretty much just shut him down. And yeah. so I think the guilt and the grief of that caused Judah to, to leave, to flee. And um, so meanwhile, Joseph is taken to Egypt <clears throat> and he is sold into a uh, Egyptian official of Pharaoh's um, named Potiphar. And Potiphar is a person that has gotten, um, he's got people under him. He's in charge of a lot of things, a lot of affairs for Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And he, um, he finds favor in Joseph. He sees that Joseph is attendant and um, takes care of things. And so he ends up putting Joseph in charge of his household. And um, basically anything that he owns, Joseph is put over. And so, during the season that Joseph lived with Potiphar, their house was very blessed. His businesses were very blessed. He became very wealthy. And he didn't have to ask questions or worry about anything. The Bible says in Genesis 39 that Joseph was well-built and very handsome. So, we have this, you know, all-American, what we would call all-American <laughs> film. Look, <laughs> you could 
type of boy, <laughs> young, strapping, you know, most likely to succeed, probably had the, you know, the little cartoon smile that when he smiled, the little teeth gleamed, you know, <laughs> sparkle in his eye, charismatic, you know, everyone's guy. Um, and he's probably feeling a little bit better about himself. I mean, he, he was not in the best, we talked about in the last podcast about his bro- very broken family. Um, he was put in a situation where he was favored, but it only create, created more issues for him with his siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that they wanted him dead. I mean, I can't even imagine you're sitting in a, in a well listening to your brothers argue about which one gets to kill you. Can't do a whole lot for your self-esteem or identity at that point. Mm-hmm. He sold off into slavery, which would have been very rough. Mm-hmm. Um, he finds favor. He kind of gets ahead. He's still a slave. That That has not changed. Um, but he's got some privilege. He's got some power. He's he's probably feeling pretty good about himself when he catches Potiphar's wife's eye. She does everything she can to seduce him. He knows it's wrong. He knows it's evil. Eventually, she corners him in the house. And the Bible says that she's basically dragging him by his cloak, trying to get him to go to bed with her. And he literally runs. She rips the cloak off of him and ends up with it in her hand. And he he flees. And I get, you know, from, I can only imagine, you know, what he's thinking. In those days, any kind of situation like that, a slave would have been killed mm-hmm. immediately. Um, probably because of his favor and his record, he was only put into prison. Which would have been devastating. And I don't know about you, but I've had seasons in my life where, um, you know, my childhood, I very much can re- relate to Joseph and just always not feeling like I quite belonged. Mm-hmm. Always not being, you know, I was never the all-American girl. and always felt like there was something about me that was just a little bit different than others and always kind of felt like that in the fringes and not because necessarily every time someone did something to me, sometimes that was the case, but I just always had this like, where I almost felt like I was on the outskirts of everything. Mm-hmm. Never fully accepted. I was shy, you know. And then get to a certain point in your life where you start to get your feet under you, start to get some confidence, you find something you're good at. Um, you start to feel like maybe maybe I could be the popular girl. You know, maybe I could be the popular boy, or maybe I could have some point, and then the, it just seems like the rug gets ripped out from under you all over again. Mm-hmm. And you're back in that place of questioning. You're back in that place of insecurity. And so... After all of this time, here is Joseph now sitting in prison, awaiting his fate. Um, He had once again gotten some favor in the prison with the warden, Um, but it's still prison. (laughs) Um, At some point, he ends up getting a couple of salesmates, the cupbearer to the the pharaoh and the baker for the pharaoh, both of which uh, have been accused and uh, imprisoned and are awaiting their fate. An audience with the Pharaoh. They both have a dream. Um, so Joseph asks what's wrong with them and they tell him we've had a dream and he's like oh, okay don't well all the interpretations belong to God so tell me your dream and they do <clears throat> and essentially one of them has a dream and Joseph interprets it that he's going to be restored into his place and the other one has a dream that he's going to be killed (laughs) and it happens and so the only thing joseph asks of the cupbearers when you're restored remember me um but 
alas, the cupbearer is restored and he does not remember Joseph. He goes back to his duties and Joseph is forgotten in prison. So two years go by at this point and Pharaoh has a dream. And he has a dream that there are cows that come up out of the Nile and they're fat and they're sleek and they're healthy and they're grazing among. But after that, there's seven ugly cows that are really like near death looking and they devour the, the fat calves. And then he has a dream about seven heads of grain that are healthy and they're good. And then these ones that are scorched and thin, they swallow up the healthy and it really perplexes him. And it, it, it and I've had dreams where I woke up feeling a heaviness and a fear. And I think that's probably what was going on with Pharaoh because he's very insistent that he needs these dreams interpreted. And all of his, you know, religious people around him can't do it. None of them have any idea what, what any of it means. And so the cupbearer all of a sudden remembers um, Joseph. Hey, there was this Hebrew in jail when this happened two years ago. And he told me I'd be restored. And here I am. So they clean him up. And they take Joseph from the dungeon, um, you know, shave him, get him all cleaned up, send him before Pharaoh. And Joseph says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he deserves. And this to me jumped out because it really showed me that in between the time of Joseph interpreting the cupbearer and the baker's dreams and then him standing before the Pharaoh, he had had some maturing happen. Mm -hmm. He had had some growth happen because he had kind of been cavalier with them a little bit to me when I read it, like, oh, that's God's business. Now tell me your dream. Let me mm -hmm. see what I can come up with. And definitely matured since his first dream of <laughs> yes. the, the word. Of <laughs> yes. <laughs> definitely uh, matured since telling his brothers his dream. <laughs> he had grown in the fear of the Lord. Mm -hmm. He understood what I think a lot of us struggle in our own walk and in our lives to understand is that the goal for us should not be to be popular. Mm -hmm. The goal should be to be an influence because where there's influence, there's power. Mm -hmm. And that's where it brings change, not just in our lives, but to the lives around us. And so God did give him the interpretation and it was a warning to Pharaoh who said there'll be seven years of, of healthy abundance prosperity, and then there's going to be seven years of famine that will kill whatever prosperity we've experienced. And so you need to prepare. You need to put someone in place that can prepare for those famine years in the plenty. And that in itself shows a maturity and a wisdom and a discernment. And so Pharaoh said, okay, you're the man. And he elevates Joseph to a place of power where he is number two in the kingdom. After Pharaoh, it is Joseph. So here comes this Hebrew boy from a pit to a, you know, Potiphar's house to a prison. And now he is in the palace and he is the number two person in all of Egypt. Mm -hmm. He gives him a wife, a home. And Joseph, it says he, he stewarded that season of plenty so well that they lost count of how much reserves they had. There was mm -hmm. so much reserved. And sure enough, in seven years, the famine hit. And Egypt was the only one not starving. And even in that famine, it got bad for the regions around them. And so Joseph's family ends up coming to Egypt. And I would just encourage anybody to get in that and just really read that because there's so much powerful that happens in that that is about reconciliations and families. But the point I want to make for today is really about Joseph 
and the similarities that we can draw from him in our own lives Mm -hmm. is that often we will get a little bit of success and we really think that we have arrived and we've done something. And truthfully, God is not interested in how popular we are. He's not interested in where we think that um, we really excel. He's not He's not really interested in our plans. He's interested in our hearts. Mm-hmm. He's interested in us getting to a point where like, Lord, I know you're bringing me to this purpose and this plan because I have a destiny to fulfill in you. Mm-hmm. And in fulfilling that destiny, you're going to you're going to save a whole region. You're going to save a whole generational line. You're going to preserve a promise inside of your family that God had purposed for you to walk out and fulfill. Mm-hmm. And Joseph not only needed the character that would sustain him to walk in wisdom, that was a pretty big job. Mm-hmm. If he had not learned in the quiet moments of the cell, of the prison cell, if he had not learned in in the reflection and the alone time with the Lord, you know, sometimes I think not being popular is a blessing mm-hmm. because it forces you to get alone with God and really examine your own heart and understand what is driving you, what is driving that success, what is driving your needs for approval, Mm -hmm. and allow God to be the source of that. Mm -hmm. And so by the time he got to the point where he had all this power, he didn't abuse it. Mm -hmm. He had the character to understand, I am here for such a time as this, like Esther. Mm -hmm. She knew God had put her in that palace to face Haman and to save the, the Israelites. And Joseph knew Everyone will starve if I don't do this. I need to honor God and I need to preserve a people. And I think sometimes for us in that season, if we can look at the circumstances, like if we feel like we're buried under circumstances, maybe we're seeds being planted mm-hmm. that need time to germinate. Maybe there's, maybe there's some maturity in us. Mm-hmm. If we find ourselves in a, in a place of betrayal like Potiphar or even with the cupbearer forgetting us, we lose friends, we lose relationships, people betray us, forget us, lie about us. Maybe there's a growth opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a way to take that situation and to, to allow God to refine our character, mm-hmm. to bring us to a place of maturity, to bring us to a place of influence where we're walking in wisdom and discernment, where we can look at a scenario a little bit different and ultimately Joseph said to his brothers what you intended for harm God used to bring good not just for me but for your own families for your own future Mm -hmm. and so his dream was fulfilled they did end up bowing to him he was in a place of power but at that point he was mature enough that he didn't gloat in it Mm -hmm. he wept in it Mm -hmm. Because it meant restoration in his family. It meant being reunited with his brother and his father. Mm -hmm. It meant began, you know, the love being restored between them. And understanding God's purpose in all the suffering. That there was a purpose to it. And there was a point for it. And I just think that we serve a God who, if he asks us for something, it's because he has something better. Mm -hmm. And when we get to that point of maturity where we can trust him through the process to build the character to sustain us for the promises that he has for us, when we can get to the place of maturity where we can understand, I was waiting for this for a reason. I mean, even in the delay, he didn't get to the palace until the famine was coming. Mm -hmm. There was a timing issue there as well. You know, and it it reminds me of uh, Elizabeth and her husband with John the Baptist. They were serving the Lord and had done nothing wrong, and yet she was barren. She was waiting on Mary to get pregnant with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Their destinies were tied together because John the Baptist was the forerunner for Jesus. Sometimes we're a forerunner. 
And sometimes we're waiting on the generation that's coming behind us that we're going to unlock the door of destiny for them. Mm -hmm. So in that season of waiting, in that season of whatever trauma, Joseph went through a lot of trauma in his life. He, you know, he was, none of it was to be taken lightly. I don't want to read through the story and anybody think that he didn't suffer. There was suffering in all of this. There was Mm -hmm. disappointment. There was heartache. There was betrayal. There were things that he thought were going to end up a certain way that did not. Mm -hmm. So... In those moments of trauma, it's really important to reflect and to look at the moments and to make the choice that this is happening for a reason. What has happened to me is not who I am. It doesn't define me. It's not going to be the last chapter of my story. I'm not thrown in the towel. I'm going to keep getting up. I'm going to keep doing what's in front of me. I'm going to keep trusting God. I'm going to keep crying out to Him. I'm going to keep sitting in this place of reflection with Him, allowing His Word to wash over me, allowing Him to cleanse me and purify me so that my character and my integrity are there when the door of opportunity opens, when Pharaoh calls for me, when the job opportunity opens, when the right relationship comes across my path, when the right business opportunity opens, I will have the wisdom, the character, the integrity to know, okay, God, I'm ready. And then when God sets it in motion, nothing is going to stop it. That's right. There is nothing that the enemy can do to shut it down. And so that's my encouragement that regardless of where you started, what part of the process you may be in, where you might be sitting, you might be sitting in a Potiphar's house, working for people that don't deserve you, working for people who don't are not honest, don't do things the right way. You might be sitting in a prison. <coughs> Where you feel like there is no escape and you might be sitting at the cusp of your palace. You might be in your palace. Make sure your character is going to sustain you through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, what I love that we talked about before we were recording, we were just kind of sharing what God was doing in both of our hearts through all this. What I love is that, um, you know, we were talking about if if he had a, you said that people don't want to have to go through the character development, you know, no one's like, no, God, send me through all the hard times so that I can really be strong in character. We may ask to be strong without understanding what we're asking for or, you know, certain things. But um, if he had of, if he would have went from the pit to the palace, he would have been still that immature 17 year old boy that had him kissing his rings instead of understanding, hey, you know what? I I have to be mature in this situation and I have to think about other people in this situation. And you think about each step that led to his character development, how being traded into a foreign country gave him a heart for the foreigners that were coming to buy the grain. He had been a foreigner and he knew what that felt like. Being put under Potiphar and his household taught him about all of the responsibilities that he was soon going to be in charge of that he had no idea he was going to be in charge of. Every single step was preparing him for what was to come. And if he had have at any point been like, woe is me bad things keep happening to me and I didn't do anything to bring this on myself and so I'm giving up and if God really loved me I wouldn't be in this situation and he had compromised his character then the next step wouldn't have gotten to take place but because of his character God was able to build on each step to get him ready for exactly what he had intended for it to be so I don't remember who said it but I remember somebody saying we pray to be at Oaks of Righteousness And often the answer comes as an acorn. Yeah. And it's nothing but time and element 
that mm-hmm. produces the oak of righteousness from the acorn. Mm-hmm. That's what he got. That's Time right. in the element. Amen. Okay, listeners, that is a wrap. As always, if you need us, we're here for you. You can reach out on social media. Uh, You can email us through our website. Um, But we really, really genuinely want to show you love and support. If there's something that was shared today that really resonated with you, just want to let you know that, um, like Jennifer said, no, you don't have to be saved right, right now, right in this moment. Um, whenever you're ready, Christ will be there for you and he'll meet you there. But if today is the day that you feel led to do that, it's really simple. There's not a lot to it. God made it so that any man could come to Jesus. And all you have to do is admit that you're a sinner, that you need Christ. That's all of us. We all do believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died on the cross for our sins, that we need him in our lives and then um we confess that jesus is lord of our lives and scripture says that's all it takes for us to be with christ forever and eternity to accept him to be lord of our life and then at that point jesus comes in and he's going to start to transform you and change you and so you don't have to have somebody do it for you or do it with you there's really not a wrong way to do it it's that easy Admit, believe, confess, ABC, you can do it. If you need me, if you feel like you need somebody to talk to about it, if you have questions about faith, feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to answer your questions or just questions in general. If it's something with trauma, if it's something with counseling, if you feel like you need support in those areas, that's what we're here for. So we just love you. We pray blessings over you in the weeks to come. Pray that you would see the fingerprints of God in your life in a mighty personal way. And we're here for you.